Hello from chilly Smithville, Ohio. My name is Todd Martin, and I'm the pastor at Smithville Mennonite Church. And I'm excited to share a message I know God wants you to hear right now. But before I do, will you pray with me? Oh Lord, help us to hear exactly what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, last week we read and saw how Jesus called a few fishermen to follow him as he looked at, as we looked at how Jesus went about making disciples. Now, we know that making disciples is one part of the great commission that frames our whole mission as a church. Today, we'll see how Jesus uses the same approach as last week, asking for help. But this time, he gets a totally different response from the woman he asks for help. Yet, she still in the end ends up being an early disciple for Jesus. Then we also see the deep impact one changed person can make on their community. This is a missionary story of being saved and sent by Jesus. Again, we find a person most would have seen having little potential for good being a powerful witness for Jesus. Though she had doubts and questions, God used her in a mighty way to further the mission. Now this is the point to your sermon. This is what I call the sermon in a sentence. So if you don't get anything else, grab a hold of this. Jesus will call people regardless of who they are or the questions they have, and make them disciples, and we should too. Now, I know that was a little long, so let me give it to you one more time. Jesus will call people regardless of who they are or the questions they have, and make them disciples, and we should too. Now, I'd love it if you'd open your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible handy, boy, let me know, and, and I would be happy to, to get you one, and I'll tell you how to do that at the end of the sermon. Uh, but don't worry, if you don't, just kick back and relax. I'm going to be reading the whole text. I'm in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, what I hope you won't forget from verses 1 through 4 is that disciples make disciples. Okay, never forget that. Disciples make disciples. Then I'm going to ask you this question who do you want to baptize? Jesus was gaining more disciples, but look, it was his disciples who were baptizing, which means helping make disciples. And this is awesome. This is the model Jesus' first disciples used. Look at verse 2. They were the ones actually in the process of baptizing. This is why I always have someone else in the baptismal water with me besides the person getting baptized, because disciple-making is a team sport. Can I just ask you, 
who have you baptized? How about this? Who would you want to baptize? Can I just challenge you right now to begin praying for that person, that they would come to Christ and you could someday soon celebrate their commitment with baptism. I know many of you already have or have been praying for someone. Keep it up and enlist others to help. And remember, baptism is a celebration of someone's commitment to Jesus. It's when they say publicly, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And they're reborn. Baptism is really a big rebirthday party, as we call it here at Smithville Mennonite. Now, Jesus responds to the Pharisees' interest by moving on. But is this really just logistics? Did Jesus just need a little fresh air from the Sea of Galilee? I know I do. Maybe there was a greater issue, a divine appointment that he needed to have in Samaria. The one place no one thought Jesus would try to make disciples. Yet that's exactly what he did. I'm back in John chapter 4 verse 5. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. The plot near the, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, textual time out. And a Holy Land side note for verse 6. This is one of my favorite spots on our trips when we go to the Holy Land because it's one of the few places we know with certainty that Jesus was actually there. Of course, now there's a massive, beautiful Greek Orthodox church built over it, but the well is still there and you can still get a drink from it. I hope I can take you to the Holy Land and see it sometime. Let's pick up in verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Verse 8, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Well, verses 5 through 8, what I hope you catch, is neither one's sex or ethnicity should keep them from Jesus. Neither one's sex or ethnicity should keep them from Jesus. And then I would ask, do you think those are still barriers to people getting to Jesus? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Now, because I just used the word sex in a sermon, I better define it. A person's sex is either male or female. It is binary, one or the other, as defined by the Bible and confirmed by science. You either have an XY or XX chromosome. It's a biological fact. It's how God creates people. Always has and always will. Now this is unpacked completely in an article in my blog titled Transgender Truths that you can get to through our website at Smithville Mennonite Church. Uh, just go to my blog, look for the title Transgender Truths if you want to get the whole scoop. Now you can go there and then let me know what you think because our current culture is very confused about what sex is. And I'm thankful the Bible is clear. Now here again, we see Jesus asking for help. This is what we covered last week as an approach to disciple making. But last week, he was at least talking to Jewish men. What was he doing here? He's talking to the opposite sex of another ethnicity. 
Women in that time were not to be disciples, but then add on to it that she was from the despised Samaritan race. That makes it even more of an issue. Now, many people forget Jesus was one of the first major leaders of a religious movement that liberated and elevated women. He saw them as equally in need as men of salvation. He also relates to Samaritans. We have a positive view of the word Samaritan because we often associate it with the word good, but not in Jesus' time. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews, as we will see. Jesus crossing two major borders that were not to be crossed, but he did it anyway. Why? I'll flip back to your sermon in a sentence. Jesus will call people regardless of who they are or the questions they have and make them disciples, and we should too. But I guess this woman didn't know the sermon in a sentence, and she had questions galore. Verse 9 of chapter 4 in the Gospel of John. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with from, the, and the well is deep. Where will you get this? living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verses 9 through 14, what I hope you catch, would-be disciples will probably have questions and hesitations. Again, would-be disciples will probably have questions and hesitations. And then I would just ask, what are you drinking? Now here we see Jesus having asked for help and not getting it. In fact, he's rebuked and questioned. Now, there's application right here. When we become mission-minded, as we're trying to be with this sermon series, and we engage people, we must realize that there may be resistance and reservation. This woman had questions from the get-go. She wondered why Jesus was even talking to her. Friend, are you ready to be rebuked and then questioned? We know that from the text that Jesus was already tired and I'm quite certain he really did just want a drink. But it never says he got one. Rather, he turned the topic spiritual. He takes his need and turns it into a conversation about the universal need everyone has. Captured in this conversation is a mission-minded bonus point. I hope you don't miss this either. No matter who you are, we all get spiritually thirsty and only Jesus can quench your eternal thirst. Let me say that one more time. No matter who you are, we all get spiritually thirsty and only Jesus can quench your eternal thirst. Not Sprite, not 7-Up, only Jesus. Jesus is using an earthly need to illustrate a heavenly reality that nothing on this earth will ever satisfy your deep longing to be filled. 
Jesus could see through her, just like he can see through all of us, and just like he can give us eyes to see through others. We are all thirsty for eternity. Can I just stop here and say, not every conversation you have needs to go spiritual. But are you okay if it does? This is where I'll push a little. Like when I ask, who do you uh, want to baptize? Can I ask, who have you had a spiritual conversation with? Look at this one. Jesus just wanted a drink. Maybe your conversation will come at an inopportune time. Will you still have it? Are you prepared for it? But then there's the greater question. What are you drinking? Do you have living water in you? You can't give what you don't have. Don't get me wrong. We all get thirsty in this world. But how do we quench our thirst? Jesus is about to reveal what this woman was drinking in a powerful and personal way. What if right now Jesus is asking you, what are you drinking? What well are you drawing from for spiritual refreshment? Does it well up to eternal life? Remember, you can't give what you don't got. Let's see what the woman at the well is drinking. Verse 15, Gospel of John chapter 4. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. What I hope you catch from verses 15 through 19, a word of knowledge is also a miracle. Are you ready for a conversation to go miraculous? Here's the miracle. Jesus was given a word of knowledge, an insight that perhaps only God could have given him. This is a miracle we can receive and pass on. Again, I don't want to get super spiritual on you, but wait, why not? I want you to be equipped and be mission-minded. God can and will reveal things to us about people that only he knows supernaturally. That is one purely miraculous word of knowledge. Now, I also know God can reveal to us naturally things just by paying attention or having others tell us things, and we recall them at just the right time. I've had this happen numerous times. I've been told something, and then a while later, I'll be in a situation where I say what I know. People's eyes tend to get big, and they say, how did you know that? To which I often reply, hey, I work for God. He's the ultimate source. The Bible says God can reveal what kings say in their bedrooms. So there's no secrets from him. And he'll even share them with us. Now this was a miracle for this woman. But it wasn't a bolt full of fish like the other week. But better. Someone who knew her, saw her, and wasn't repulsed by her. She was there in the middle of the day. Now this isn't when people go to get water. She was avoiding people. Why? Jesus tells us. She's had five husbands and was shacked up with number six. But then there's Jesus. 
a man who sees her not for her sin, but for her soul. And that's exactly where the conversation goes. She has a deep God dilemma to ask about, and she has the courage to ask it. Listen as I continue in John chapter 4, verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers God seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now verses 20 to 24, what I hope you catch is what people thirst for is really worship. What people thirst for is really worship. And then I would ask, is confusion keeping you or others from worship? Now here, even in the face of a miracle, the woman still has questions. There's a passion for learning the truth about worship. This is not a bad thing. In fact, it's the mark of a true disciple. Curiosity about the holy. She wants to connect with God, but there's a barrier. Just like last week, we saw when Peter was faced with the miracle, he saw his unworthiness. Here, she sees her confusion. Oh, friends, there is so much confusion that becomes barriers for people to enter into worship at church today. Just the other week, I encountered multiple people who talked to me about how homosexual people aren't welcome in the church. Friends, at our church, nothing could be further from the truth. Did you know that if we didn't welcome sinners into our church every week, no one would be there, myself included. But what we do is call sin, sin, and encourage people to get free. We confess to God and each other our sin and move towards holiness. But that said, we must focus on verses 23 and 24. Worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. When we worship together, we open God's word and the spirit and the truth flow freely, encouraging us with his loving spirit, but also convicting us of our sin with his truth. You can't have one without the other, spirit and truth. When was the last time the well woman was in worship? Who knows? This poor woman was so confused and thirsty, she had no clue how to be satisfied. So she just kept drinking up the salt water of sin. And what does drinking salt water do? Does it quench your thirst? No, it only makes you more thirsty. But now she gets a drink that she truly needs. Jesus is about to be revealed. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, 
what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Friends, in verses 25 through 30, we see a woman on a mission. Here is a woman on a mission. Then I'll just ask, what mission are you on? Now, this is the first time in Scripture Jesus reveals himself as the Christ to someone. With that revelation, she launched into disciple-making of her own and helping people come and see Jesus. Do you see what she left behind? She had a drink from the source of living water. Here we see a spiritual need trump a physical need. She forgot about her physical thirst because living water was now coursing through her veins. Here is a woman on a mission. Have you ever seen a person like that? Someone who is so excited about something, they just must tell everybody. I know it's easy to look at this woman and say, man, she's over the top. I can't do that. I'm more laid back, and that's fine. But have you ever told anyone what Jesus has done for you? Now, I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on you, but I am here to say, I believe if you are following Jesus, you have a story to tell, and God has someone you need to tell it to. I believe everyone who's listening right now has a God-given call on their life to witness to another person. Why? Because this is how the church goes on. If believers start to think, as many do today, I'm no missionary. The Great Commission doesn't really apply to me. We are missing an essential part of our life in Christ. And that is sharing Him with others. Now, for those people that know me, uh, they know I enjoy Miatas. The little Japanese car. I love talking to people about them, but you know what? Not everybody wants one. No one will get to heaven in one. Now, I could leverage my enjoyment of these cars to build relationships with people who might not know Jesus. Yes, but then I still need to share the good news with them when the time is right. Friend, can I just ask, what mission are you on? Does it go beyond just physical stuff of this world and enter into the eternal? I hope so. This woman led her town to Jesus. Who could you lead? Who do you want to lead? Would you ask God to show you who you can lead to Jesus? Because that's the mission we're supposed to be on. Now I'm going to finish up in John chapter 4, verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could have someone brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, 
and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verses 31 through 38. The fields are still ripe. Will you be part of the harvest? The fields are still ripe, and I'm asking, will you be part of the harvest? Frankly, there's an entire sermon in this rich section, but I just want to stay with our point, and that is Jesus will call people regardless of who they are or the questions they have and make them disciples, and we should too. Here we see Jesus pointing his disciples towards the mission of reaching the world, expanding their view of what their mission is and the urgency of it. In verse 34, we see Jesus weave together the words will and work of God. And what is that? I believe at that moment, Jesus saw the Samaritans coming towards him and he pointed towards them and said, open your eyes. There's the harvest. Can I just ask, who is Jesus pointing towards today? Who are the confused, the abused, and the sin-soaked people that are dying of spiritual thirst? Who are the ones we see barred by their own ignorance or our lack of invitation to find God in worship or fellowship with other believers? Oh friend, will you let God open your eyes to see the harvest and then will you be part of it? Now I'm really going to finish up with our last section of verses, verses 39 in the Gospel of John chapter 4. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him Because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we believe for ourselves. We know that this man really is the savior of the world. Well, to finish up, you just need to know, from verses 39 to 42, the woman did well. The woman did well. The woman at the well did well. Can I just ask, how are you doing? Or how are we doing with the mission Jesus has sent us on? Many people believe because of her testimony. He told me everything I did. A simple line, but one that reveals Jesus' impact on her life. Can I challenge you to consider what your one line is? What did Jesus do for you? You know, if I had one line to say about what Jesus did for me, I would say, he saved me from death again and again. Or maybe another line would be, he rescued me from the deadly sin of selfishness. What's your one line? Now, this isn't a gimmick or a bumper sticker. You just slap on everybody you meet, but a tool to have ready when spiritual help is needed. Are you equipped like the woman at the well was? Here's the really great part that takes all the pressure off us, even if we're not well equipped, if we just point people to Jesus. Look at what verse 42 said. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Friends, when we get people to Jesus, they will experience him, and they no longer need our words because they'll have their own. This is how the mission multiplies. This is how we can know we've been faithful. And that transfer leads to transformation. 
Who can claim faith in Jesus because you pointed them in the right direction? Let me boil it down. I know we've covered a lot today, but I'd just like you to pick one of these questions. Who do you want to baptize? Are you ready for a conversation to go miraculous? And what is your line? Friends, who do we want to baptize? Are you ready for conversation to go miraculous? And what is your line? These are all questions you can ask yourself as you try to point people towards Jesus. Our dear woman at the well, scorned and rejected by everyone but Jesus, pointed back to him and showed others the way to him. Oh, that we would do the same even today. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much that the woman at the well pointed her community to you. And Lord, then they came to you. What a witness. What a mission-minded person she was. Help us to be the same and help us to be faithful in all we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, again, thank you so much for listening today. And don't hesitate to reach out to me, Todd Martin, at Smithville Mennonite Church, especially if these messages have been a blessing. I so appreciated hearing from Derek that he listens as he drives on Sunday morning. And I pray God would bless you, Derek, on your way. Well, now I'm going to leave you with a beautiful song that illustrates the sermon so wonderfully. It's by a lady named Olivia Lane, and it's called The Woman at the Well. Be blessed as you listen. I heard a story from the Bible When I was just a little girl About a broken-hearted woman Who met the Savior of the world Thought it was just another story One that the preacher
myself and I believe